Good morning, church. <laughs> so, three young fathers uh, were waiting in a waiting room. Their wives were going in, into labor and stuff, so they were waiting. And the first was told that his wife gave birth to twins. And so he was like, that's amazing. I play for the Minnesota Twins. What a coincidence. That's an awesome thing. Later, the nurse came out with the second man and said, congratulations, you're the father of triplets. And he said, whoa, that's amazing. I work for 3M. And the next man to him fainted. He was out cold. And when he woke up, they asked, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he said, I work for 7UP. <laughs> Happy Father's Day to those of you who, who have seven kids, maybe one kid, maybe ten kids like my crazy parents. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm just kidding. You're not crazy. I'm one of those kids. That makes me crazy. But happy Father's Day nonetheless. Um, Some of you here are seasoned veterans. I know a few that have just become fathers for the first time uh, recently. So congratulations to those of you uh, who are in that. Um, Either way, we're glad to have you here as we uh, partake in this this day to honor you and celebrate fatherhood. So before we move forward, I just want to give this time over to God as we uh, just pray for this, this time. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for the opportunity and the amazing privilege it is to uh, not only speak uh, the things that you are calling me to say, but to be able to to read your word and be able to proclaim your message. God, I pray that you would just uh, open our hearts, uh, open our minds and our ears to receive and uh, hear what it is that you're trying to say to us today. And God, may I get out of the way and uh, you speak through me and that it would be through you uh, totally. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, I myself am not a father. Uh, I like kids, but I'm not a father yet. So this, this day kind of created a problem for me uh, as I was coming to prepare for Father's Day because I was like, what am I going to possibly say to these people who have had children who are in the, the thick of it and raising those kids? What can I say to fathers when I'm not a father myself? And uh, however, with that said, I, I can't change a diaper so I think I'm well on my way in that department. So when the time comes, I'll be ready for it. Um, and that counts for something. In the weeks leading up to this message, uh, I heard from a couple people, just uh, various chatter and stuff, uh, that from year to year, Father's Day kind of gets a bad rap that, um, you know, we, we come here. Uh, this is just across the board, not just here at Eastgate. Or I don't even think we've done this at Eastgate. But we, we come here on a Father's Day message, and we tend to, uh, you know, lambaste our fathers for things they're not doing right and telling them how they can improve and get better and be stronger and healthier households and stuff like that. Um, Well-intentioned messages, I'm sure, but a lot of fathers end up leaving disgruntled because we are lambasting them publicly in front of their families. I do not want to do that, so I'm very clearly making that uh, at the get-go. I am not here to lambaste fathers. Far be it for me to do that anyway since I am not one myself, so that would be a very weird thing to do. I want you to find some encouragement today in the things that God has to say. Um, And although it's tough, it's tough as fathers these days to find encouragement, uh, not just here in the church, but just at the culture at large. It's hard to find those words of encouragement because for as long as I can remember, and even up into this day, so just growing up from a kid right up until now, uh, the media, movies, TV, everything, they just seem to find ways to make dads look dumb. 
dumber and dumber, making them look goofy, incapable of doing things, incapable of raising children. There was a Huggies ad that came out a few years ago, 2013, that basically said, like, let's test these diapers by giving them to, like, clueless fathers and see if they will stand the test of that trial. And it's, like, ridiculous. Like, what father doesn't know how to take care of their own children? But this is kind of the culture we're in. They're finding ways to make dads seem like we're incapable. And some go even as far as to say dads are not necessary. You're not necessary. That's what some of the people in our culture are saying. And dads get kind of pushed around uh, left, right, and center in that regard. A young boy uh, lived in, in, the, in the country. It's just a countryside. His family had to use an outhouse, which the young boy hated. He hated this outhouse. It was hot in the summer, cold in the winter, super stinky, just not a great place to go to the bathroom. The outhouse was located near the creek, so the boy decided that he would push it in the water. The waters had risen, and he saw a great opportunity. He's like, I'm going to get rid of this thing. So he pushed it in the water and hoped that it would go away after a spring rain. Later that night, his dad told him that he and the boy needed to take a trip to the woodshed. And for this boy, he knew what a trip to the woodshed meant. He knew that that meant punishment. Something was coming his way. And he asked his father why, to which his dad replied, because someone, because I think that someone was you. Someone pushed that outhouse into the water, and I'm pretty sure it was you. The boy responded that it was, yeah, it was me, dad. Then he added, remember when George Washington's father asked him if he had chopped down the cherry tree? He didn't get into trouble because he told the truth. That's correct, the dad said, but his father was not in the tree when he cut it down. (laughs) Fathers get pushed around, sometimes in an outhouse. A week after Father's Day in 2014, uh, a Detroit Free Press columnist named Mitch Album wrote wrote an article titled, When Did Fathers Become Expendable? So I'm just going to read some excerpts from that. It won't take long. So this is what he says. Last week was Father's Day. So this is 2014 after Father's Day. Last week was Father's Day. We know that from the calendar, the lines at the restaurants, and the holiday sales at Best Buy. But the rest of the year, fatherhood is shrinking in significance. I'm not just talking about physical absence. A third of American kids now live without their biological fathers. I'm talking about perceived importance. More and more fathers are being viewed as less than necessary. Take this recent exchange on The View, the TV show, an ABC show with a massive female audience. A guest host, an actor named Terry Crews, he's an awesome actor, by the way, super funny. Terry Crews had floated the idea that there are some things only a father can give you. He was deluged by objection, both on social media and on the set. When he said, a father gives you your name, co-host Whippy Goldberg joked, like in The Lion King? When he said, a father gives you your security and your confidence, co-host Jenny McCarthy, who is raising a son of her own, shot back, I am a single mother, and I guarantee you I can give my son all of those things. The debate went on for several minutes at high volume, with the female hosts paying homage to widows, single moms, gay couples, and McCarthy hammering, hammering at the idea that her amazing son needs no man. And while I know the show is not scientific, it's entertainment. It still got me thinking how far we have come that on a network TV, a man suggesting there are some things only a father can give you is greeted not with agreeing nods, but with cannon fire. Take the sentence, there are some things only a mother can provide. Does anyone disagree with that? You say nurturing, everyone nods, a mother provides nurturing. You say unconditional love, everyone nods. But try saying that sentence about a father in some circles as Cruz did, and it's as if you're hammering at people's toes. When did it become so difficult to extol fatherhood? It may be trendy to dismiss dads as little more than fertilizer, but it's not true. In fact, it's pretty foolish. Such is our world where a comment like Cruz brings a tsunami. 
That's the end of that. From the outset of this message, I want you to hear this one thing. If you take away anything from today's message, I want you to hear this one thing. Fathers, you are not expendable. You are not expendable. If you are sitting next to a father or your husband, can you please turn to them and say this to them to their face? You are not expendable. Say this to them. You are not expendable. Dads. You were created by God. You were created by God. And as such, you and all of us as people created by God have the awesome privilege of being made in his image. You are made in the image of God. God created you with all of your gifts, all of your talents, abilities, all the qualities that make you, you. And he called you into the role of fatherhood where you would put all of those giftings he has given you and you would put them into practice. Your personality, your corny jokes, bad dad jokes. You would put those and everything else into the practice and the lives of your kids. And God didn't give you all of those things just so you could be some bystander or expendable parent who just kind of shows up and is sort of there but not. That's not what God created you for. It is a privilege and an honor and a great calling by God to be a father. If you don't feel honored some days, know that God, our great Father, honors you and he holds you in high esteem. Our great God honors fathers. Amen. 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 That's my small rant for the beginning. I just wanted to get that out of the way because I want you fathers to know that you are not expendable or that you are not appreciated. You are a huge, huge player in the role of your family and it requires... A lot of encouragement, but the world these days is just pushing, pushing, pushing. And I really want you guys to feel that God is really, really pressing in to say, you are not an expendable parent. You are, you are in a high position of calling, and you are honored in that regard. So that's out of the way. So this morning, I want to talk about uh, two different fathers from the Old Testament who are amazing examples of not only faith and obedience and fatherhood, but they give us some encouragement, in, in especially for those who are fathers. This applies to everyone, by the way. I know it's Father's Day, and it tends to be like just a message for fathers, but this is broad-spectrum stuff. It applies to fathers, yes, but it's still f- for everyone. So hopefully you find some encouragement through these, these characters of the Bible. So the first one I want to talk about is Abraham. It is fitting to highlight a guy uh, in the Old Testament who was called by God to be a father of many nations. Abraham was an amazing man, like crazy amounts of faith for this guy. We are first introduced to him in Genesis chapter 12, where God calls him to actually just like take up everything, pick up his family, take it all, and leave his country and go to the foreign land where God basically said, this is where I'm going to give your future inheritance. This land will be theirs. I want you to go there, leave everything you have, and go to that destination. And he promises to give him his offspring. And in faith, he just goes. He doesn't question God. He doesn't do anything. He gathers his stuff, and he goes. He just does it. Fast forward a little bit to chapter 15, and you'll find God's covenant being established with Abraham. At this point in his life, he's getting pretty concerned. He's, when God called him, he was 75 years old. So at this point in his life, he's getting concerned. You know, God, you promised that you know, I'd have some offspring, but I ain't getting any younger. So where, where's that offspring you've promised? And so God comes to him, God shows him the word of the Lord, it comes to him, and he says in Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 to 6, I don't know if we have that on the, on the slides, but this is what it says, and he, that is the Lord, brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be, and this is, this is key, 
And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He just believed. He just did it, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, remember again, Sarah and Abraham are getting pretty old uh, to be having kids at this point. Yet he trusts God at his word. When God promises that Isaac would be born uh, later on in chapter 17, Abraham, Abraham just laughs. He's like, what do you mean I'm going to have a kid? And he goes on to say, like, I'm, I'm 100 years old. Sarah's 90. Like, there's no way we're having kids. This is not going to happen. But God follows through on the promise, and Sarah does conceive and gives birth to Isaac. Now, we've seen a little glimpse of, of Abraham's faith being stretched a little bit, you know, being called to go from one place to another on a whim without knowing the direction where he's going. It's all, like, completely dependent on God's voice and leading. So his faith is getting stretched, but God has one major test of faith for Abraham, and that comes in chapter 22. So in Genesis 22, 1 to 3, if you turn in your Bibles or if we have it on the screen, this is what it says. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had called him. Talk about a test. This, this was the, the, the one child that God said, you know, through Isaac, your offspring is just going to like be abundant. And this is going to be the, the link to that, that fruition coming to place. And then God says, well, you got to sacrifice him. You got to take this son, your only son, Isaac, and offer him. There's no guidebook that Abraham is following. He's not reading like a manual, like, okay, how do I like have stronger faith to do this? He is just legitimately operating on faith. It's just, okay, God, you told me to do this. I'm going to do it and hope for the best. If you look closely at verse 3, it simply states that he just got up the next day and went. He didn't like fight God on this when God said, take your son, your only son. He didn't like make a big scene about it. He just, I'm sure in his mind there was some turmoil. He was human after all. But there doesn't seem to be that sense of, like, that disdain for what God was calling him to do. He just gets up, goes, and does it. Isn't Isaac supposed to be the one whom is going to continue the line with? Those might be some questions he's asking as he's on his way to this situation. But Abraham's faith does not seem to be shaken at all. And listen to what it says further on in in verses 6 to 8. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide. Listen to that again. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that in that situation, like Isaac is just a little boy. And so God telling him, even in that situation, this, or Abraham telling him, you know, God will provide. Even this little child at his young age is still, okay, I trust you, Dad. I trust where we're going. He doesn't know what, what lies ahead of him, of course, but he goes. He trusts his father. Without debating it, like in his mind, there was no other alternative. He boldly states, God will provide for himself. Warren Wearsby states, faith does not demand explanations, Faith rests on promises. Faith does not demand explanations. Faith rests on promises. And that is exactly what Abraham is doing. His faith is completely dependent upon God's word and covenant. 
His, as we read further on in the story, we in fact do see God's provision come through. Abraham places Isaac on the altar and is about to carry out God's command. And just before he is about to do the unthinkable, an angel stops him and says in verses 11 to 14, But an angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Abraham is then reassured by God that all that was promised him when he was first called would come to pass. He would be blessed. His offspring would be multiplied greatly. And all because of this key verse in verse 18. Starting verse 17. I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sands that are on the seashore. And your offspring shall shall possess the the gate of his enemies. And then key verse 18. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Because you have obeyed my voice. Now fathers, this applies to everyone by the way, but fathers, I've seen this from my experience. There are days when stuff is just not adding up. Stuff is just not adding up. It might be bills piling up and a lack of finances or not even having a job. It might be that you're struggling in some area and looking for relief. Know this, when you are walking by faith, not sight, which is hard for all of us, When you are walking by faith, not sight, in complete dependence and obedience to God, he will come through. For many people, this is a struggle. We want to be able to provide. I know this is a big thing for men. We want to be able to provide for our families, be that, you know, breadwinner and and be the guy that does all the, the hard stuff so that our families are looked after. That's a struggle, and we want to be able to do that for our families. But sometimes God uses these difficult circumstances to deepen our faith and show us who he is and what he is capable of doing. He does provide. He is yours, fathers. He is mine. He is ours. He is our Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will be seen or the Lord will see to it as the Lord will provide. This provision is not just for the physical, by the way. It's also for the spiritual as well. When you look closely at the text, there are elements that share similarity with Christ. If you just read through this and then read through Christ's journey to the cross, Abraham, his only son, sent to be an offering, a sacrifice. God sending his only son to be the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice for us. These are, these are correlations. Abraham was prevented from sacrificing his only son. God didn't have that luxury He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and take upon himself all of our sin and all of our shame. And through his resurrection, we all partake in a a newness of life. Through Christ, we are both physically and spiritually provided for. When you feel the strains of life um, coming along in whatever area you're going through, those strains, you can be reassured, as Abraham was, that God will make a way even when we don't always understand where he is leading. You need not be afraid or feel the, fear the trial so long as you are listening to that still small voice and trusting him that he'll provide. In Luke chapter 12, verse 24, it says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feed them, feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? God takes care of his people. 
God takes care of his people. He provides. It's one of his names. He never desires that we should suffer. If only that through the trial, our faith is strengthened and we learn to trust him more. Trust and obey, for there is no other way. Now, I don't say these things because I don't think you are trusting and obeying. But we all need the reminder that God does indeed want to help us in our times of need. It's a fresh reminder to say, hey, maybe you're going through something. Lean in. Trust in, the, trust in the Lord that he'll provide for whatever situation you are going through. So that's Abraham. The next man I want to look at is the man, and his name is David. Many of us are familiar with David and his life, so I'm not going to go through this huge thing. We're pretty familiar with him. He's a very uh, popular character. Uh, but one of David's kind of names that he was given was he was known as a man after God's own heart. David, too, like Abraham, was a man of great faith, great faith, and had placed upon his life a huge calling from shepherd boy to that of future king of Israel. After Saul's continuation of poor choices, poor leadership, and just ridiculous disobedience to God, God had lined up a new man to replace him. And so if you read in 1 Samuel 16, God sends his prophet Samuel to go and anoint the future king of Israel. He is sent to Jesse in Bethlehem. And when he arrives, he asks to see his sons. And we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 to 13. When they came, uh, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So this is Samuel in front of Jesse's sons. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse, call, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all of your sons here? Are all of them here? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down he comes. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. It is the spirit of the Lord that establishes David and enables him to accomplish all of the things that God is calling him to do. And David's life is filled with many accomplishments. Fighting Goliath, becoming a king, shepherd boy to king, that is an amazing accomplishment. Winning battles, unifying Israel, that's huge, something Saul couldn't do. And writing a huge portion of the Psalms to name some of his accomplishments. Imagine being David and passing on those cool stories to your children. Think about Solomon just sitting at his lap and hearing his dad retell his tales of, you know, slaying Goliath and, and talking to his son about the power of God and how, what it means to be obedient and trusting in him. Imagine passing on that wealth of just crazy faith to that son. That would have an amazing impact, I'm sure, on Solomon's life as he grew up. All of that to say all those accomplishments. And yet when we look back to see his calling, Jesse was asked to bring all of his sons, but David is left out. Talk about underestimation, hey? His own father didn't think he would be suitable enough to stand with his brothers. His own father. Yet God chooses him, 
even though from a human standpoint, the other brothers seemed like better candidates. Fathers, some days you may feel like a bad dad. I've heard some fathers say like, oh, I really blew it this week or I did that. Some days you may feel like that or that you don't measure up or maybe you just aren't equipped. But I want you to know this. You are called. You have a huge calling and responsibility on your life. Rest in the fact of that for a minute. Rest in that for a minute. As a father, you are called by the God of the universe to impart knowledge, instruction, wisdom, teaching to this little person (laughs) that God has blessed you with. That is an amazing thing. That is very amazing. You are called. Yes, it's a major responsibility. It's a huge responsibility. But our Heavenly Father is there alongside you when you feel the weight of it all, and he helps you carry it to guide you, to provide for all of your needs. There's peace in that, I think. I'm not a father, but I would imagine that would bear some sort of comfort, some sort of peace, knowing that when I'm messing up, when I'm struggling, when I've made mistakes, when I've done something that could possibly change something in my child's life, God still has his grace, and it's big enough that I am called to do this task, and God will see it through. God will provide Amidst everything, when as believers we feel like failures or we're not good enough, it is by the grace of God we can be called his children at all. And we can get back up and carry on because he calls us and enables us to do his will even when we feel weak. It was Hudson Taylor who said, All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. Listen to this again. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God Because they reckoned on his being with them. Because God is with you, rely on his strength to help you through. Fatherhood is not easy. I imagine, again, I'm not there, but I imagine it is not an easy thing. But God is there with you. He is carrying you through. Rest in the fact that you are called. Rely on his strength. And finally, because God is our great father, what better example of fatherhood could we possibly have? Now, I recognize that there are some here who may not have their fathers here currently. I recognize that. There was a story um, of this one son. His father, I can't remember if his father left, like abandoned him or passed away, but he was left without a father for a great portion of his life. And as the son, he, he was just trying to pursue life things, and he thought to himself, I, I really want to take up fly fishing. I want to get good at this this sport, and so he went out and went and got his equipment and started fly fishing, and he couldn't catch anything. It was just hours and hours just fly fishing, and then he saw a guy just kind of standing off at the distance who was doing the exact same thing but was having great success. He was catching fish. He was doing all, all the right things, and he was just watching him, trying to emulate sort of the things he was doing, and the guy saw him, and he said, hey, why don't you come over, and I'll show you the ropes. I'll show you how it's done, and then you'll know what to do, so the son goes over to that guy, and the guy teaches him everything. He shows him how to tie the line, shows him how to cast it, and the, guy, and the son does it and ends up actually having success. He's able to catch a fish, and he's able to, to actually enjoy the fly fishing experience. And as he goes and recounts that, that memory, he goes and recognizes that in that moment, yes, he didn't have his earthly father, but in that one moment, God had provided a substitute of sorts in that way, another father to come alongside him and show him something, show him how to do something, 
So yes, I recognize that maybe for some of you, your biological father isn't here, but God has many men around in your life. Not to fill that void, no one can replace a biological parent, but someone to come alongside you and kind of be that father figure for you. God provides that. So because God is our example of fatherhood, it is important to remember that we remain in him. As Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We can do nothing on our own strength. So as fathers, that's a huge thing too, right? We have to be, for fathers, there's that mentality, guys have to be strong and hold the fort down and be that tough person. But in this passage, Jesus is basically saying, without me, you can't do anything. Yes, I've called you to be a father, but if you're doing it without me, you're not going to be very good at it. You'll, you'll go along, but with me, as we work together, Jesus would say, you'll have greater success. You'll be a greater father when you abide in me. It is God and God alone who enables it, and it is God who provides in that way. Abide in him and allow him to shape you and mold you as you live out his calling on your life. Look to him for all your needs, for he is a faithful he is faithful to supply them. In James 1.17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God, our loving, caring, and compassionate Father. Those are some traits. Our God is a caring, loving, and compassionate Father. He is the giver of good gifts, knowing exactly what we need when we need it. So fathers, listen to this. Hebrews 4.16, I'm twisting it a little bit, but Hebrews 4.16 says, I'm adding this word, fathers. So fathers, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that you may receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. Cling to those promises of God because without him, these are hard things to do. Being a father in this day and age, as I stated earlier, is difficult. Sometimes it's a thankless job. Draw near and hang on to those promises. Cling to our Jehovah Jireh. God is our provider. And hold fast to your calling. God has called you to this huge task. This huge task of raising children and proclaiming his name, passing on his glory, passing on his, his rules and instructions, and most of all, passing on the gift that is the gospel. That is a huge calling. And you have the awesome privilege of being that. I look forward to it one day. But you guys are in it. You have that privilege Cling to those faithful promises that God has made. Let's close in prayer. Generally, Father, I thank you for fathers, and I thank you for the calling that you've placed on their lives. And God, you've called us all into, into things. I recognize that. Uh, whether we're fathers or not, you are calling us into, into all sorts of areas. So God, I pray that as our fathers are, are highlighted today, honored and, and thanked, God, I pray that they would feel that honor and appreciation for their roles as fathers in the lives of their families. And God, I pray for those who are, who are struggling this day with uh, their, the a loss of their father. God, may you fill, fill that void. May you bring comfort and peace this day to those who uh, may be wrestling with that uh, a little bit. And God, may you just uh, pour your compassion into those hearts of those people who are wrestling with that. I pray these things in your name. Amen.